Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast with the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. His name is Scott Powell. And your name is Father Peter Musset. My name is Father Peter Musset. Well, not your names, but his name. Over My there. name is that. Um, it is awesome. We um, are. Um, what in, is awesome? Um, All of it? Yeah, man, everything. Dude, everything's awesome when you're part of a team, man. That's true. Everything is awesome. Everything's cool. When you're part of a team. Did you see there's a second Lego movie coming out? No. It looks pretty funny. Um, I just, the other day you were telling me about how you, uh, you woke up in the middle of the night and there was sushi in, in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was out of town. <laughs> I have small kids. I was out of town. You never know. You parents know. You never know what you're going to find. But I was out of town for the weekend. I came back Sunday night. It was late. I crawled into bed. <laughs> and there's a bunch of spicy tuna rolls with rice everywhere in my side of the bed. <laughs> and I was, I reached down and I was like, what is, what, am, you know, there was a baby sleeping in the crib. And so it was like pitch, it was dark. And I was trying to be quiet. And I crawled into bed. I'm like, what is this? Which all you parents, I'm sure you've had that experience of like, what is this that I'm feeling in here? I'm like, is it a sock? I'm like, no, it's I rice. It was gonna oh, be no, it's so- tuna rolls. It's more tuna rolls. They keep coming. Dude. And I was like, Annie, why are there tuna rolls? And she's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> she was like, let's just. Let's it's been a long weekend. Deal with it in the morning. Yeah. Well, just, I asked her in the morning. She was like, it was a long weekend. Dude, I, I was. Uh, I, I just kept on thinking it was Legos because I, I was thinking yep, about that's one, fair. one of the most painful things that I could imagine finding in my bed were, were Legos, especially the bricks. The Lego, the parent Lego feet, middle of the night <sighs> shenanigans. It's just, mm. I mean, I love Legos. Oh, that's the segue. The Lego movie. Well <laughs> yeah. played, Father Peter. Do you know, my, my roommate in college, he used to draw his pictures, and then he would- Alex uh, Pandalmo? No, this is- uh, Greg Peterson. A, nope. Great, <laughs> great, great, great call. A- Aaron Walters. Oh. Aaron Walters. So okay. shout out to Aaron. And uh, mm. he uh, used to draw his pictures, and then he'd put it at the feet of our of our bed, like, and then make our beds. And, and then you'd get it, and you'd be like, oh, you made my bed. And then you- put a picture. And then you found a picture, and like- they were just weird. I mean, they were just like like these really kind of very innocent, kind of very bizarre sentiments <laughs> that were just like, they were not pious necessarily. It's just hard to imagine. It's hard to put my shoes into the place of actually doing that for someone. Yeah. I'm going to go make their bed and draw them a picture. I wish them. I was the kind of person that would do that. Yeah, because it, it just was super random act of kindness. Yeah. Speaking of super random acts of kindness, it's the third Sunday of Advent, third Sunday which makes of it Advent. Pink Sunday, right? Pink Sunday, Rose, Rose Sunday. So it's it's I always mix up Advent and and Lent. This is Gaud, Latare, Latare. This is Ga- Latare. This is Gautare. Ga- no, it's <laughs> don't mess it's with Laudate. me. It's Laudate. Laudate. Gaudete. Is it Gaudete or Latare? It's Gautare. Stop it! Which I one don't, is it? Dude, I don't know, man. <laughs> Shoot. Dude, that's why I'm saying stuff. You know stuff. what I'm saying? I, yeah, oh, okay. I can... oh, well, th- you've made me feel far, much better about myself. Because there is a Latin term for this, but it, it's Pink Sunday. So it's, it's the one where you light the third uh, candle. candle of Advent. Yep, that's what they, we light. And it's it's actually kind of beautiful thinking about, you know, at least in the in the Western Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere, Western Hemisphere. Yes, wherever we live, and just, West, just Northwestern Hemisphere. <laughs> <laughs> we are approaching the darkest the nights are all getting darker right it's getting darker earlier until we hit um the uh what do you call that thing with the moon 
Equinox, uh, right? The the solstice, the, the winter sol- solstice, sol- winter solstice, right? Which coincides with when we celebrate Christmas. But it's really beautiful because nature itself is actually showing the year getting darker and darker and darker. Right. And in the darkest time of year, at least in this part of the world, the brightest light's going to come. And so that's part of I think what that pink, the rose colored candle is reminding us of, right? In all these dark candles, there's this bright light kind of smack in the middle, right? In the middle of the liturgical season, right in the middle of the candle. And and it's really beautiful, this reminder. And it also tells you that it's half over. More than that. Oh, no, I guess that's the halfway point. Right. It's pink. It's halfway there. Th- that, th- that's, that's, actually, cool. that's actually what it is, is you're halfway there. Oh, living on a prayer. Take, Take my, my candle. candle. I'll light it, I swear. At, all right. At the altar, I... Pear. <laughs> I'm glad you said. Glad you brought a pear into it. You know, it's so, partridge is man. A partridge in a pear tree. So it is the third Sunday of Advent. Our first reading said. is Zephaniah 3, 14 to 18a. You don't get a whole lot of Zephaniah these days. Dude, Zeph, dude. Zephy. Our responsorial psalm is of course coming from Isaiah. I'll just let that hang there for a second. The responsorial psalm <laughs> is coming the, from Isaiah. It's yeah, true. Dude, I yeah, I just like had to hang out with that for a yeah, second. It's good. It's good. It is coming from Isaiah though, which is it is sort of a psalm within Isaiah. It's psalm is the Hebrew word that just means song, and there yeah. is a hymn embedded in Isaiah. So it's Isaiah twelve, verses two to three, and then four, and then five and six. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then are we got the Philippians? We sure They're do. flipping out in <laughs> chapter four, verses four to seven. They're actually calming down by chapter four. They were <laughs> flipping out in chapter three. They really were, man. But then they chill out. In four. Yeah, they're just like, dude. They're like, it's Pink Sunday. We're cool. We're Pink Sunday in it. Our- <laughs> that wasn't that funny. I shouldn't have laughed, but it just really tickled my fancy there. <laughs> what, um, the, the flipping out about the Pink Sunday? You no, know, we're pinking it. You said, I think. What did you say? <laughs> Yeah, dude, I don't know. They need plinking shears is what they need. (laughs) Plinking. All right, our gospel is from Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. All right. Dude, Zephaniah. Zephaniah. So, um... So Zephaniah, he's one of the minor prophets. He is, one of the 12. Do you know what makes the 12 minor prophets minor? Um, So we have the categorization in the Old Testament of the major prophets and the minor prophets. Isn't it the length that they wrote? Yeah, it's literally just the length of their book. So it's not that Isaiah is better than Zephaniah or Jeremiah is better than Habakkuk or something like that. It's literally (laughs) they have smaller books. So we we have less information, less stuff. But they're not less important. So they're minor prophets, but just in terms of their books are shorter. Right. There's a couple of priests in the the Archdiocese of Denver, and one's very tall and one's very short, and they share the same name. Father Jim Thermos? (laughs) No, he's just the tallest priest in the diocese I can think of. No, but yeah. but but they they share the same name, and so we call them the lesser and the greater. But really? I don't think we're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but because because it's big, but I don't but think we're supposed to. <laughs> but but I think according to the the minor major prophets, like I uh, think that that's I think we yeah, can call oh, the, them the it's applicable. Yeah, yeah. I see where you're so, so, but but I okay. Whoa, that was where my brain went. I think that's a fair play. <clears throat> I think that's a fair place for your brain to go. I think it's a fair dude. Oh, what what happened gosh. there, dude? I don't know, man. Um, but uh, they're, sh- they're shouting for joy. Adolescence just happened, dude. Um, Who's shouting for joy? Zephaniah. Oh yeah. Okay, we got we got to unpack this a little bit. Hold on, back up the train for the Peter. <laughs> Put it in reverse. Uh, okay, Zephaniah. So I hate construction zones where they have to have that. <laughs> but it's fun to do on the podcast. Or uh, uh, delivery trucks. Don't they often have the beeping oh, yeah, on the back? Yeah, the piezoelectric buzzers. <laughs> of course you know the brand. <laughs> no, that's the, that's the type, actually. That's yes, the type. I'm sorry, the type. 
Um, okay, so so Zephaniah. We don't know a whole lot about Zephaniah, we, but we know some actually really important things about Zephaniah, hmm. which which kind of it builds a really uh, fascinating context for this reading because it, it's it's funny that the church chooses this particular passage from Zephaniah because this passage about rejoicing is definitely the exception to the book, <laughs> which is a pretty, it's one of the darkest books of the Old Testament. So this passage that kind of gets highlighted is, it's interesting. So what do we know about Zephaniah? Zephaniah, the only thing we know about him, he's introduced to us in chapter one, verse one. And the only thing we're really told about his background is that he's a fourth generation descendant of a guy named King Hezekiah. Do you remember King Hezekiah? He, yeah. he we read about, I think in Isaiah, Right, he is um, one of the only. The, the reason he's significant is that he was one of the only faithful kings of that period, that time period, ever really. Right, right. <laughs> but so that means that Zephaniah. So the reason that's important, although we don't know much about his background, what we do know actually tells us a lot. So most of the prophets, or at least a lot of the prophets, tend to be these people who kind of wander in from the wilderness. They're sort of, they seem like weirdos or societal <laughs> outcasts. You know what I mean? They just kind of wander in from the desert and they're like, what's up? Zephaniah is different because he um, is a part of the inner circle, right? He's a part of the royal family, right. which <clears throat> which makes him very much an insider. And so while a lot of the prophets of this time, they're kind of re, uh, dealing with the problems of like everyday Joes and Janes in Jerusalem, he's actually dealing, he has a familiarity with like the politics and the royal circumstances of what's going on, which is kind of interesting. So he has kind of this insider's view. Um we know or we think that he's prophesying during the reign of a guy named King Josiah. Do you remember King Josiah? Yeah. You do. Um, you know this guy. Josie and the cats. Isn't that what it is? Yeah, that's the one. He was in a, a cartoon, a band, yeah, right? That's, that's right? not the same one. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the king. Oh, this I is the king. You're... This is not the, the, yeah, not no, the one. No, a different uh, one. But King you... Josiah, you do know about him. Remember, he was the one... Um, he was one of the most righteous kings in Israel. Dude, that's so Hezekiah right. was was a good Unjust. one. Josiah was probably one of the best. Honestly, I mean, even David is sort of held up as this huge example. But David even falls into this profound sin of adultery and stuff. Josiah is is really remarkable, and he was the one who. Um, and it was this is around the 600s, I think, B.C. So he was the one that, remember, when they were renovating the temple after the Assyrians kind of beat it up, he they found, found the Deuteronomy. And then they did the big, and they, they made like, the, oh, no. And then they all cried. And he Yeah, they were like, we should fast. be doing yeah. this. Yeah, that was Josiah. Oh, got it. And then he's the one who later on is is basically cut down um, and killed by uh, an Egyptian pharaoh named Nico, I think, in his mid-30s on the plains of Megiddo. And that's the reason why... You don't use Necco wafers for <laughs> fake communion of. hosts. That is why, because Necco wafers that. are a it betrayal of, jo- you of Egypt of, of Josiah's death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> I feel like if we had a studio audience, that I was kind of giving the the internal pause for the studio audience to laugh. <laughs> and now I'm moving on, dude. Yeah, I'm just saying that like anybody who still knows what Necco wafers are, do they not still make Necco wafers? I don't know, man. I think they do. I think they're out there. Necco wafers are a happy candy but but so, but this idea of this righteous but he's an important figure because he's this righteous king who was killed unjustly in his mid-30s on the plains of megiddo the har megiddo and so the reference to him is harmageddon right what is armageddon it is the killing of a righteous king of israel in his mid-30s who was turned on by his people 
Mm. This is Jesus. So so Josiah is one of these really pinnacle symbolic characters in the Old Testament who sets us up for Jesus. He's righteous. He's, you know, the time period and he dies. So anyway, uh, there's a whole story. We could talk about uh, Josiah. But but the point is um, he tore down all these false idols and these Baals and these false, you know, worship places. And it's believed that a lot of why he does that is based on the prophecies of Zephaniah. Mm. The Zephaniah kind of encourages his words, encourage the people toward this reform. So he's he's fundamental into this. And essentially what Zephaniah is doing in the book, um, he's got a very stark, very dark, very harsh message of this thing that's called the coming day of the Lord. And so you, we've talked about that theme, the day of the Lord. It's a theme throughout a lot of the prophets of the Old Testament. But it's basically this, this um, reference to this day, this coming day of the supreme judgment where um, it'll come because of the sins of both Judah and Israel and the nations and all these people. And everything's going to be laid bare and God's going to punish and there's going to be fire and it's going to be intense. Right? right. The day of the Lord is coming. Watch out. Um, and, and really the shape of Zephaniah, it's kind of cool on a literary level. It's like a periscope. Which which moves outward. It starts with Judah, shows why they've been so sinful and corrupt, um, and it moves outward toward Israel and then all of the other nations who have also been sinful and have also fallen into all this sin. And then it goes from you know moving from Jerusalem outward to the nations, showing then how God is going to come in and restore the world for Jerusalem and all the nations, because the whole purpose, all all of the prophecies about punishment in the Old Testament. God never punishes without restoration being, without uh, an eye toward restoration. Right. right? Punishment is always for restoration. So that's what the point of this book is. And and what I want to get to is right before, so does that make sense? That's the context of this book. Right before we get to the reading that we get this week, though, I just want to, I have to read this because this is what colors everything. And it's, it's funny to me, actually, that we don't have this particular passage showing up in the reading because it, it is the... What's the word? It's like the key, right? You have a, a key to a map that's like you you understand all the color coding to understand what the map is doing. I'm just trying to talk. Legend. Like, the legend. That's what it's called. And and not the one that not that weird movie. Don't Legends watch. of the Fall. That's a good movie. Oh, Legend. Oh, that yeah, was creepy. Yeah, I don't like that Legend. Me. That I don't is, like scary that, stuff. That's a bad one. Okay, so this is uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8, which is where the message of the restoration begins. Okay. And it says, therefore, wait for me. So you've all been sinful. God's going to punish you. Jerusalem stinks. Everybody's bad. The nations are terrible. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> then, I'm just, I'm quickly. Verse 8, therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, for the day when I will arise as a witness, for my decision is to gather all the nations together, to assemble the kingdoms, and to pour out on them my indignation, my punishment, all the heat of my anger, for in the fire of my jealous wrath, all the earth will be consumed. Uh Uh-oh. Yea, in that time, I will change the speech of all the peoples to a pure speech, and all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my supplicants, my daughter of the dispersed ones, they'll all bring the offering. So that's the sort of point when the whole book changed. It doesn't sound like restoration yet, but right. what's weird about the book is that there's this, um, it's not a juxtaposition, it's a commingling of this idea of God's fire which will punish and simultaneously restore. So all the nations will be gathered. There will be fire and this fire will purge. And then all the nations who are gathered will have their disparate languages and speech translated into one unified, pure form of speech. Mm. So Zephaniah is prophesying about a time of punishment where fire will come 
and all the nations will gather and their speech will be transformed into something that's understandable to everyone. And that's where we step into oh, this reading. Oh, that's cool. The, pro- the, the, the uh, Pentecost, that's really this interesting. This is Pentecost. Interesting. Which I, comes I've never out. seen that. It's amazing. It's actually remarkable. But but Pentecost Pentecost can only come, of course. Hold on, is that in this reading right here? No, it's not. It's right before it. Okay. And that's why we get the reading that says, So shout for joy, daughter Zion. Sing joyfully, Israel. Be glad and exult. Blah, blah, blah. Your God has, has removed all the judgment against him. He's turned away your enemies, the king of Israel. He's in your midst. Um, on that day, the day of the Lord, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not. Don't be discouraged. The Lord is in your midst. He's almighty savior. He will rejoice over you with gladness, renew you in his love. He will sing joyfully because of you as one sings at festivals. That's a description of what Pentecost is. Hmm. Because the fire of the Lord, the punishment. Here, here's what's interesting. What is the actual day of the Lord? Because the day of the Lord is not specifically the moment of Pentecost. I I would argue, and I'm sure others have said this, but I'm going to take it. I'm going to go on a limb. I would argue the actual day of the Lord, this day of punishment slash restoration, is the entire movement between the passion of Jesus Christ and Pentecost 50 days later. That movement of 50 days of God taking the punishment and all of the wrath of the day of the Lord upon himself freely and thus raising from the dead, taking the punishment, going down to death, rising up, ascending into heaven, and then sending out not just the punishing, but the purifying fire on the earth, which will then transform all of the nations into the kingdom of God, unifying our speech, is the day of the Lord, which is simultaneous punishment and restoration, which God chooses to take all upon himself and pour out on us. Which you see, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's that's just big. It's I mean, really like, big, and like this is that's just funny. I kind of wish we would have had that section from Zephaniah right Don't before. Don't you kind of? I mean, because because I really like it, and so it it's like it's almost like we get the results without the substance. That's why I was a little. I'm a little frustrated. It's okay. I'm cool. Yeah, you know, I can, no, no, no. I mean, I can understand because it seems like the church is trying to say, hey. Um, there, the the prophecy. I mean, it, all things being equal, and having actually listened to the podcast, you say, "Ooh, I can recognize." I mean, right? That's right. It, it, it actually puts a very large responsibility upon us to understand what yeah. the context is. It does as a holy people to say, like, "Oh, invest in these mysteries," and the result, right. the result of the investment in the mi- mi- mysteries, is not being discouraged, is shouting yeah. for joy, that's is right. actually the rejoicing. Like, like in, in a certain sense, we're living in existential. Uh, expression of what the church is calling for us to do from this. Which is actually exactly what you're articulating. You're articulating uh, the psalm from Isaiah. So let's go into it. Which is, which is cry out. I mean, the response we actually use, cry out with joy and gladness, for among you is the great and holy one of Israel. Right. Which is, I mean, in a certain sense, this is a Pentecost response. Mm. Cry out with joy and gladness in a unified voice with all of our language now put back together. I mean, Pentecost, mm. it, it, there's so many things happening at Pentecost. It's funny to be talking about Pentecost in Advent. It really, that it really is what, kind of, it's messing with me. Uh, but I know. I, but I kind of like it. But it that's kind what of, our readings are asking us. Because, and, and it makes sense in a certain, in some ways, in that I don't want to read too deeply into this. I mean, number one, this isn't reading too deeply. Right. The thinking of the incarnation 
we can't think about the incarnation without considering what the incarnation will lead to. Right. It's not just about a baby in a manger. I mean, that's that's beautiful, but that baby in a manger is going to bring the day of the Lord upon himself and bear the fruit of it on all of us. I mean, there's, we need to have consideration for where the story is all going. Right. Which the church is just kind of reminding us of in Advent. Like, Advent's cool. We're preparing for Christmas. It's beautiful. Stars, trees, babies. But don't forget what all this means. Where this is all going. Where this is all leading. It, it's it's almost like pay attention to the seed and the fruit. Exactly right. Like, Which like, it's appropriate that the church does that at this moment. Right. And, and this is why I don't want to read too much into it. But I mean, this is Rose Sunday. This is the one where we have, you know, we've been dwelling in the purple, the dark purple of Advent, the darkness of the night sky, the darkness of the year. And then we get this bright rose colored candle, a flame a brightly lit flame that's not in the darkness anymore. It's lit up, which actually is this subtle little reminder of the day of the Lord, mm. this purging fire, this purifying fire, actually looking at fire on the candle, the well, bright one. Well, it's like, it's sunrise. I mean, it's like, like a sunrise, it, which is pink, which orange, is pink. Right. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's got a lot but, of colors, yeah. but the deepest, the deepest level is red and pink. Right? It's, There's something there, isn't but, there? Yeah. It's, it's, the, but that we have to go dark before it actually fully dawns though. Right. But, and again, the whole idea in Advent, even in the darkness, we're keeping, even in the darkness, we're reflecting on the sunrise that is coming. Which is, because we know it's there. Right. Which is Philippians. Which Have is no Philippians. anxiety at all, but oh. in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. If you're requesting stuff, it means because you're in the dark and you're like, Lord, have mercy. I need something. That's for a good point. For anything. Like, and then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. It's, uh, I mean, to, to wait upon the day of the Lord is actually just a really great challenge. Well, and even even in that, I, I was actually struggling with Philippians and how to contextualize it and put it, make, make sense out of what it's doing there. What you said was brilliant, but there's also a level of, and we alluded to this at the very beginning of the podcast, by chapter four of this, of this epistle, Paul is now moving on to the rejoice. I mean, Epistle means letter, by the way, epistle in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> yes. So a, an epistolatory story is a story written in, in letters, co- composed in letters with letters, which is I'll like the, the um, which is like the uh, the documentary um, about the f- first road trip of America. National Lampoon's Vacation. <laughs> is that you mean something else? I mean something else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? It's a uh, oh. It's a uh, oh I can't remember. All dang, right, we'll dang. just stick with vacation. Then. Yeah, Tom Hanks narrated it, and what? it's and Forrest uh, Gump. No, I really don't know what you're. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> All right, Hugo Hargo, Hugo ha- Boss, Hugo Boss. That's okay. a good scent, actually. I used to wear that in college. He also cuts a mean suit. Well, here we go. Um. But it, it's not coincidental that it, within all of this rejoicing and saying, I, I mentioned last week, I think we talked about this. Paul uses the term joy or rejoicing in the letter of the Philippians more than any other letter, which the irony of that, of course, is that Paul is in a prison cell when he's writing it. And he's writing to a church that is undergoing pretty severe persecution. And he just actually finished chapter three, I mentioned was a pretty harsh chapter in Philippians, where he talks about these people who are manipulating the word of God, who are, you know, he talks about the circumcision party, he calls them dogs. He talks about really these evil doers who have made their God into their belly, like all these terrible things, which in a certain sense is actually reflecting in some ways the whole book of Zephaniah, talking about this sinfulness that's come upon the nations and they've made their gods their bellies and all this sort of stuff. But yet there is restoration at the other end. And here in Philippians, He's talking about how they who are faithful 
are being faithful in the midst of this corruption and a culture in which their God is their belly and they want for themselves and they look out for number one and they're being persecuted and, and you know, abused and all of these things in spite of it, but yet rejoice. It actually follows the same trajectory as the letter of Ze- or as the book of Zephaniah. So by the time Paul is, again, sort of reinforcing the rejoice idea, he's already brought you through the pain of all of the persecution and suffering that he's sort of taught us how to deal with. So rejoice. Mm. Just like in Zephaniah. Hey, all this stuff is coming. So rejoice. Mm. Because despite all of it, it's not just punishment. It's also restoration. And what Paul is saying then is what he says to all Christians is that our persecution, our sufferings are not simply about suffering, but the suffering can be transformative. The suffering can be redemptive, right. which is a very Christian principle, right. but it's also a Jewish principle. It goes back to Zephaniah that the day of the Lord, this punishment can be restorative. It can be salvific. It's not just a Christian idea. It's been set up for us way back from the time of the prophets, right? which is what the day of the Lord is all about. Yes, You can't have the redemption without the suffering. Which, which actually gets us into the gospel decently. Tell me how. <laughs> um, well, I mean, what, what's happening is is that um, the requests start coming in from particular people of how do they actually live it out um, to John the Baptist. So, yeah, yeah. So, so John the Baptist, in a certain sense, is kind of an icon. He's a prophetic gesture of a suffering Israel out in the desert, in okay, reliving yeah, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a kind of a way that the exile in a prophetic capacity, not necessarily Certainly fully. in an Exodus way. Right, in an Exodus way. Which, like, by the way, is one of the... I, 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 we missed it as we went past it. I was wondering, though, why the church chooses Isaiah. One of the big themes of Isaiah is this new Exodus that's coming when right. we're moving mm. from slavery into a new freedom, which is one of the themes of even chapter 12 is pointing us toward what this new Exodus... We, we had the old Exodus. Right. We know the slavery. We know how God provided for us, and we know all the story. But there's a new exodus that's coming, and how should we approach that? That's what Zephaniah is pointing to in totally different language, right. but that's also what uh, I think Isaiah is trying to unite. So so we're back there. John right. is literally embodying this in a certain sense. He went out to the wilderness, to the place where the whole story started in a certain sense, right? The Jordan River is where Israel crossed into the promised land and, and took possession of this place that God had promised them, and that's where he has gone back to start. So go back to what your thought. I, I derailed you. So everybody's starting to ask of him, mm-hmm. like, what are we supposed to do? Right. And and so the you know and so we're actually moving from this wide, generalized things back into the particular because we've been talking about how yeah. the expansive nature of salvation is actually meant to go out yeah, and yeah. and to trickle that way or, or to to expand that way. Now we're actually back into kind of what does it look like to the seeds. And to the fruit, which is, um, so the sufferings, even tax collectors came to him, what should we do? And he says, stop collecting more than what's prescribed. Soldiers, what should we do? He says, don't practice extortion. So all of a sudden, these people who are who who are like in this place, who are also feeling like, how do I re-engage? How do I actually move from the sufferings of my life into a greater expression of God's providence? That's true. I think that's all 100% true. But I also, just to add, no, no, you're right, but I also think they're responding to something John said. Which is? Which is what? Remember the first words out of John's mouth in the Gospels? Uh, Isaiah. Voice of one crying He's out. He's referred to as Isaiah. Oh, okay. That's, um, uh, is it Lou? It's Mark's reference to him. They say this is who he is. But I think, unless at least in Matthew's Gospel, I think in Luke too, 
the first thing John actually says is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. Mm. This thing that you've been waiting for, this thing that we've had prophesied, this kingdom that we've been, we've been suffering under oppression, getting beat up by all the nations. We've been bearing the brunt of this punishment that the prophets like Zephaniah talked about. We have borne the fruit of the way that our people have lived. And we felt it and we get it and we're oppressed and it hurts. So when is are we going to be out of this? When is God going to come back to us? When will we be restored again? When is he going to show us his presence? And so what John shows up saying is repent, turn around. Literally repent means to, to physically turn around. It was a, a geographic term before it was the theological term. Repent just means turn back. Because why? The kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that we've been waiting for, it's at hand. I like the term at hand because... It implies that like you just need to reach out and grab. It's so close, you can touch it. And I think the response is people are hearing, okay, repent, turn around. What does that mean? Like we're, we're taken by this message. We get you, we hear you. The kingdom of heaven is coming. Okay, what do we need to do? Repent. Okay, what does that mean? And there's this very honest, because sometimes we, sometimes we make the, we over-spiritualize the faith and we think, oh, I need to be holy or I need to do these things and, and some, and you're right in the sense that it moves in, and we forget the particular, which is what's so beautiful about this, because they're hearing, okay, repent for this kingdom is at hand. And they're like, okay, so what do we do? What, what does that mean? Right. Tell me what to do. And he's like, oh, well, if you're a tax collector, do this. If you have a couple of cloaks, here's how you repent. He's, he's literally like, just giving them practical instructions for living the spiritual life. He's like, be satisfied with your wages, bro. Yeah. He's basically saying, live in the world at peace. In your vocation, in your job, in the state of life that God has put you in, mm -hmm. even if it's hard, even if your job is hard, even if, you know, everybody hates you because you're a tax collector, just try to be the most upright tax collector you can. Right. Right. Take the state in, of your life that you're in now, which is just, again, this is the very particular application of this, like you said. But I was reading through this. I read through it a few times because I was like, well, that's that's all that's all fine and good. And that's true. And it's actually good advice. But what is then John says? So, so he's, it's kind of funny, right? He says, live out your state of life and right. do it well and do it with holiness and humility. And their response to something that's actually pretty straightforward, not terribly profound, is you must be the Messiah, right? <laughs> you're like, wow, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, I just told you to be happy, you know? Which shows you, and I don't mean this in a negative sense, but in a positive sense, like the absolute desperation People are like, we we need we're grasping at God's presence among us. When is he coming? Right. Is it this? This makes sense. I get this. Maybe he's the Messiah. And what he answers is One mightier say? than I is coming after me. Which is interesting for a couple of reasons. That's true, because Jesus is mightier. But the other thing that's interesting is that John's advice, John's advice is good. It's good advice for everyday life. But if you if it all reading it and again objectively good advice good spiritual guidance right but in a certain sense it left me sort of wanting more i was reading it and i'm like this is cool but i don't know if my response to this would be you must be the messiah because you're giving good spiritual advice right exactly and he says one is coming who is mightier than i am and if you think about it the one who is coming who is mightier than john is going to give mightier commandments right. he's going to give mightier advice instead of just if you have two cloaks give one away if you you know don't charge any extra interest this guy who is mightier is going to give mightier commands to say no if you really want it give away everything and follow me deny yourself and follow me don't just give half of what you have give all of what you have and as the mightiness of the messiah comes into play the mightiness of his commands and his words actually 
begin to play out. So it's not just that Jesus is mightier, which he is. Even what he asks of us is far more than what John could ever ask. Yeah, that's Why? big. I like it. And that's the reason like really can... powerful to, to consider to just say like it's almost like you you could one weightier than I one yeah yeah something like that yeah l- right? like we can say mighty and, and in a certain sense we say yeah like no like he's like one more powerful yeah like he's gonna do more than I'm doing in every sense right and 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 he's gonna he's gonna take baptism and show that it's not just. Uh, repentance of sin, but that it's a cleansing from sin. Yeah, yeah, but what does he say? What does John say about baptism? This uh, is, I think, the key to why Jesus can do what he does. Tell me. He says, I'm not, uh, one is coming who is mightier than I, uh, mightier than I am. But coming. he's going to be Holy Spirit and fire. We go back to Pentecost. We go back to Pentecost. He's coming with the Holy Spirit. Which For the, the day Holy of Spirit the Lord. Around, and the day of the Lord. I mean, you could almost translate it that way. Right. He is coming with the Holy Spirit, which the kings had the Holy Spirit. Prophets, priests, they had the Holy Spirit to guide them for times. He's coming with the Holy Spirit in a way that you never dreamed of. He's like, dude, I'm just playing a trumpet for the day of the Lord. Right. And he's coming with the day of the Lord, which he will take upon himself in totality and bear the fire. It's not just he's coming with the fire of punishment that he's going to zap everyone with lightning bolts if they're doing bad things. He says, I will come with fire and take the fire upon myself. I will bear the day of the Lord. Mm. I who am the Lord will bear the day of the Lord. I will activate it and I will, um, I will, I will let it, I I will take it upon myself freely Mm. of my own volition so that the fruit of the fruit of the day of the Lord, which is the rebuilding of the people of God will come through me and no one else. Right. And it's necessary that Jesus takes the fire upon himself, the day of the Lord, the punishment upon himself, because then only through him can the restoration come. Right. Which is why the church declares uh, explicitly that outside of the church, there is no salvation. Right. Doesn't mean if someone is not Catholic, they could never be saved. It just means that if If, it was not for Jesus. It flows through the church, through Christ. Yep. Because only through Christ, this is how it goes outward then to all of the nations. Because the church, but it comes through Christ, a source, yeah. and the source is real. And so it's the it's the it's both the seed and the fruit. It's the preparation and the fulfillment. It's like we exist. It's like the 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 pink candle. We exist yeah. in what is and what is not yet to come. And, and 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 so we're just right there in the midst of the whole mystery. And it's funny that what the church, one of the things the church is asking of us as we're getting closer to Christmas is to consider all of this, everything we just yeah. tried to tried to unpack in our frail human terms yes. is all going to be swaddled up and wrapped in an animal trough in a couple of weeks in utter humility right? with a holy family from backwoods, nowheresville, no one cares about, the least of the forgotten people all of that will be wrapped in swaddling clothes and put in an animal feeding trough in just a couple of weeks, bearing within him all of what is to come, which is a neat thing for the church to do on Rose Sunday, yep. right? It is. It is. Dude, thanks for being with us. This was powerful. Good stuff, Scott. Mm. Yes, likewise. Thanks, man. Thanks, Father Peter. Y'all are the best. Um, keep it real, and uh, we'll see you in a week. We will be back. See okay. you then. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. 
You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.